Believe it or not, this is in a very strange way a Sunday that I've been thinking about most of my life. And I didn't even really remember that until my mom sent me something uh, earlier this week. So 2016 has always kind of been, I, I guess, kind of a banner year that I was aware of. I was aware of the number 16 because I graduated from high school in 1996. So it makes 2016 the 20-year the anniversary, my 20-year reunion that I probably won't go to back in southern Ohio. But, you know, I always kind of look towards 2016 because you thought, you know, when you were graduating in 20 years, I probably will have started my life. But when I was in sixth grade, we had a project as sixth graders when I was a 12-year-old where as a sixth grader, we had to project um, what we would be doing 20 years after graduation. So probably the first time I ever thought about the year 2016 was as a sixth grader. When I was 12 years old, I had to look into the future at 2016, and I had to say what I would be doing. And then they put that picture in our sixth grade yearbook. And my mom sent me this this year about 2016. When I was in sixth grade, they said, that's, that's me in sixth grade with big hair and kind of big teeth. Um, they say, what are, you, what are you going to be doing in 2016? And I said, I think I'll be a preacher. Um, I'd like to go back now and ask that kid, like, who's going to win the World Series? Who's going to win the Super Bowls? Like, obviously, this kid's got, he's got a, a view into the future. But I've been thinking about preaching in 2016 since I was 12 years old, believe it or not. Danielle looked at that picture and she said, when were you in sixth grade? Like, 1950? Why is it black and white? And I, you know, I'm not sure... Why it's black and white, I grew up in a very small town, maybe color printing hadn't made its way there in the late 1980s. Um, But I've been thinking about 2016 for a long time, and 2016 at Journey is a year that we're calling the year of deep and wide at JCI. If you haven't already, take out your sermon notes so that you can follow along. It's going to be the year of deep and wide. It's going to be the year where I am going to try to press you deeper in in your spiritual journey, Press you deeper in your commitment to Jesus. Press you deeper in your knowledge of God and the things of God than you've ever been before. As a matter of fact, I introduced a phrase to you last week that I hope becomes a phrase used often around our church. Um, You know, I I used to pray that our church would be refreshing for people, that they'd be able to drink in what I was giving and they would leave refreshed. That's not really the goal this year. My goal this year is to give you deep enough stuff spiritually that you can't drink it in. The Apostle Paul says when you're kind of a baby spiritually, you need spiritual milk, but when you grow up a little bit, you need the meat of the word. So I introduced a phrase last week that's chew on it. I hope this year to be able to present some challenges to you and and some depth of scripture to you and some spiritual principles to you that you can't just on the spot say, yeah, I'm going to do that, but you have to chew on it for a while. You have to chew on it that day. Maybe you have to chew on it that week. Maybe you're going to begin chewing on something spiritually this year that you're going to chew on for a few years before you're finally able to digest that into into your system. But we, we want to take you to the next level spiritually this year. And as an organization, we want to have the widest impact, the widest reach, the widest influence that we've ever had. We want to reach more people this year than we've ever reached. We, we want to see more people baptized than we've ever seen baptized. We want to give away more money than we've ever given away. We want to serve more people in our community than we've ever served. We, we want to gather more people on Sunday mornings, no matter how many times we have to stop worship, um, than, than we ever have before. We want this to be a year where our impact is wider than it has ever been before because we think God is moving us forward to have impact in our community. And this is going to be, we said last year, and we're introducing a series called Follow. It's going to be a year where we want to learn to follow. I said last week that it's going to be way more important this year to learn how to become like Jesus than it is to believe in Jesus. Jesus had a a brother named James. James said even demons believe in Jesus. Like, The key to Christianity is not believing in Jesus. The the goal of Christianity is not believing in Jesus. As a matter of fact, you might be able to believe in Jesus, if demons do, and not even be a Christian. 
It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing and a life thing. Um, becoming like Jesus is what Christianity is about. So it's about following Jesus. So we introduced that last week through John chapter 1, and that's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to John chapter 1. And as we jump back into this series, last week we read verses 1 through 13. Today we're only going to read one verse. Now, if you don't have a Bible, the ushers have some that you can use today. Um, They actually have some that you can have. So if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to open and read with us, um, and you don't have a Bible app on your phone or on a tablet, just wave at the ushers, they'll give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, put your name in this one. Take it home, keep it, read the entire book of John that we'll start in today because I promise you, it'll teach you about Jesus. We've given away, by the way, more than a thousand Bibles since our church started four years ago. So if you're like, oh, it'll be weird to take a Bible, no, it won't. Everyone does. We would love for you to have one from us. But today we only need to talk about one verse because this one verse holds such tremendous biblical truth for us as we learn to not just believe in Jesus, but as we learn the process of becoming like Jesus in living a life that has him, as you look at the title of our Bible study today, right in the center of it. So here's what John 1, 14 says. The Word, we earlier were introduced to Jesus as the Word, and the, John started out and said, in the beginning was the Word. It was one of the names he used for Jesus. So he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I'm going to read it again because it's only one verse and it's pretty easy. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. You know, in this one verse, we see an unbelievable pattern and teaching for how 2016 can be the greatest year in our life spiritually. And I want to lay out three things for you today. As we call this Vision Sunday and we say this is the year that we look at the entire year and say this is where our church wants to go spiritually this year. Um, I want you to hang on and hear the vision that we have for your spiritual life as we move into this year. We said last week, number one, this has to be a year of following. This has to be a year where our church moves from knowing about Jesus to following Jesus. This has to be a year where you go from following Jesus to following Jesus even better. This has to be a year where wherever you are in your faith, you need to take steps to become more like Jesus. It's not enough to believe we need now to become. So it's going to be a year of following. And in John chapter 1, 14, in John chapter 1, John has already described Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. I told you last week the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in a language called Koine Greek. John used the word logos, from which we get the word logic or logical, when he said that in the beginning was the Word. The, the, the word logos meant basically divine knowledge or a knowledge and understanding of all of life. So John was basically saying Jesus... Jesus is the basis for all divine knowledge that you need to understand about all the bigger issues of life. So he said Jesus is the word. He's the logos. He also referred to Jesus as the light that came into the darkness. He used the Greek word phos from which we get the scientific element phosphorus from. Phosphorus is, a, is something that burns very brightly, burns bur, uh, very intensely, bur, burns very quickly, um, and burns for a long time. And Jesus, um, Jesus is something that came into the world, and he, he not only burned, but he burned brightly and he didn't burn out he burnt for a long time and this word foss was used to talk about truth or goodness something that stood out in a dark place that's jesus was something that stands out in a dark place but his best description of jesus was not the word logos or the light foss his best description of jesus comes in john 1 14 and some of you are looking at your bible again saying wait i think i missed it what does it say it doesn't say it in the english so i'm, I'm gonna have to show you what it says because when you understand what it says and you get the picture 
that John's trying to lay out. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating challenge for us in how we follow. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, I missed the description. What, what did he say about Jesus? He used this term, made his dwelling, which was not the word he used. The Greek word for made his dwelling was the word tabernacled. John was literally saying, Jesus tabernacled among us. Now, if you have no basis of church, if you've never really read the Bible or anything of Old Testament, you don't have any friends that grew up in Judaism, the word tabernacle means nothing to you. However, if you've grown up in church a little bit, if you've studied a little bit about Moses and Joseph and some of those guys, the word, you, you understand tabernacle was like, that was like the, the first physical church where God was. And to understand this term tabernacle, because John said you need to understand Jesus is the basis for all truth. Jesus is the basis for all light and goodness. We'd be like, okay, and he'd say, and Jesus is the tabernacle. And we'd say, okay, well, we don't get that. And John says, well, unless you get that, you can't get Jesus. And you can't get how to follow Jesus. So you've got to get how Jesus tabernacled among you. So for us to get that, we have to go back to the people of Israel. And we have to go back to the people of Israel when the people of Israel needed more divine direction than they were getting. They knew they were supposed to follow God, but they didn't really know how. So they said, God, we're going to need just a little bit more than you're giving us to follow you. We go back to a time in Israel where the people of Israel needed more of a a divine connection. They understood that they were the people of God, that somehow as a nation, as a people, they were connected to God, but they they weren't really sure what that meant on a daily basis. They said, God, we're, we're going to need a little more connection from you. Basically, they needed to understand how to, how to follow God. They needed to understand more clearly How do we follow you? If you're our God and we're your people, we need a little more direction. We need a little more connection. We we need some more information. And God, we would love for you to communicate to us in a way that helps us understand without having to go through somebody named Moses who would tell all the people what God wanted them to do. They they were like, okay, Moses is great, but we would like more than Moses so so that we could figure out who you are and how to follow you. And Moses, for 40 years, had told him who God was and had told him to follow God. And it told him God was close to him. But that really wasn't working for them. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14, we see some of Moses' last words to the people of Israel. And it was like banging his head on a wall. He said, for 40 years, I've been trying to tell you God's close to you. Follow him. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you may obey it. Moses kept telling them, follow God. They said, we don't know how. If you don't tell us, we don't know how. You've got to show us and teach us and give us a clear description and direction and connection to God so that we can follow him. And Moses said, my goodness, I've been trying to do that. If if we go even further back, we see the people of Israel, basically what they desired, what they were asking for was was that God would dwell among them and that he wouldn't be up in heaven where... They couldn't really understand him. And he wouldn't be across a sea where they couldn't get to him. But he would kind of be right there with him. And we see their greatest mistake came from their greatest need. If, if we can go way back to a man named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, it says God found a man named Abram was actually his name. He didn't have any kids. God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Um, he had a wife. They had a son named Isaac. 
Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of, of Israel. His 11th son of 12 was a kid named Joseph. He had a coat of many colors, if you've done kind of the whole theatrical, maybe Disney theme. Um, brothers didn't like him, sold him down to Egypt. Famine in Judah. The family ended up down in Egypt. Everybody lived happily ever after until they all became slaves. And for 430 years, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And then bang up pops Moses. And Moses says, let my people go. And you know, there's plagues on Egypt. And there's a movie, The Prince of Egypt. You can see that one too. And Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments. There's a bunch of them. Um, you know, and they came out. And there were ten plagues on Egypt. And that was pretty cool for God to do. And then, you know, then the Red Sea split. And they, they walked through the Red Sea. And that, you know, that had to, to be an un- unbelievable experience. Then they got to the desert. And they're like, oh, no, we're in the desert. We're going to die. And God gave them water from a rock. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. And they're like, we're really hungry. So God gave them manna from heaven. And they're like, you know, we're not really just keen on bread. So God gave them meat. I mean, it was like this whole thing that God did for them. And then they get to the mountain of God, and they're like, okay, what now? And God calls Moses up the mountain, and he says, I'm going to go talk to God, and I'll come back down and tell you. And Moses went up on the mountain, and he disappeared up there for 40 days talking to God. And in that 40 days, the people said, we don't know what to do now. We don't know where God is. We don't know where Moses is. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't feel him. We don't know how to follow. So they went to Moses' older brother, Aaron, and they said, you've got to tell us what to do now. You, you've got to give us something to follow. So Aaron said, all right, it was the easiest bank holdup in history. It could give me all your gold. And they're like, okay. So they like, gave him all his gold. And the Bible says he made for them this big golden calf because they had a need to see a God that they could follow. And he said, okay, there's, there's your God. He did all these things for you. And they were like, yay, there he is. Because they, they wanted to lay their eyes on God. Moses came down the mountain and said, what the what? You know, I mean, he was like out of his mind. He threw down the Ten Commandments. He broke them on the ground. He went up and he's like, God, your people. And God's like, let's kill them all. And Moses like, no, that, you know, that would look bad for, you know, chapter 34 in Exodus. I mean, we've done all this. So let's not do that. So they worked out this way where Moses said, we just need, we need to see your glory. We need to understand you. You've you got to give me a way for these people to follow you. Because th- this, this way is not working. And what happened is when the people of Israel needed to see and understand their God, when they needed to know how to see and follow their God, they were given the tabernacle. This was God stepping into their world so they could know where he was, so that, so that they could know how close they were to him, so that they could be confident that his presence was with him, and so that they could know where to follow and when to follow. When the people of Israel needed to know how and, how, and know how to see and follow God, he gave them the tabernacle. And when you and I need to learn how to understand how to see and follow God, he gave us Jesus. You see, Jesus is the tabernacle. This is what John is saying. He's the word. He's knowledge. He's, you know, he, he is divine knowledge of everything that matters. He, he, you know, he is light. He is the morality that matters. But he's the tabernacle. He is. He's the thing to see and touch. When you're not sure where God is or what to do, you do what Jesus did. He's the tabernacle. He's the tangible God. Look at John 1.14. The word became flesh. The divine knowledge put on flesh and made his dwelling and tabernacled. Among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, for purposes of study, for purposes of understanding not just the tabernacle and what was in it, I did a series several years ago called The Veil, where I I preached for six or seven weeks on everything inside the tabernacle and how we worshiped God and how Jesus represented those. It was fascinating. You can go back and listen to it online. But what we need to understand today for our learning for 2016 is the location of the tabernacle among the people of Israel is just as important as the function of the tabernacle. For, for how John wants us to follow Jesus, for how 
I want you to follow Jesus and how, for how I'm being challenged to follow Jesus in 2016, the location of the tabernacle is as important as the function of the tabernacle because God said, here's how to build the tabernacle. Very, very detailed specs. Um, here's what to put in it. Very, very detailed specs. But God said, after we build it, 12 tribes of Israel... He said, three of you are going to camp on each side, three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, three on the south. But he said, here's the thing. I want every one of them to face the tabernacle. I want every person in Israel, every day when they walk outside, I want them to look at the presence of God. Every night when they go to bed, I want them to look at the presence of God. When they stand outside their house having a conversation, I want the center of your life, the center of the Israeli nation and community, to be the presence of God. I want everything else to revolve around your relationship with God. Put it right in the middle of everything else. More than just the building though. The Bible tells us that the tabernacle had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. An unbelievable artist's rendition of maybe what it would have looked like to gaze on the Israelites from the mountain of God. Where every day literally they could look out and they could know is God with me today? Yes he is. Every day when I walk out my front door. I remember God is with me. Every night when I go to sleep, I remember God is with me. Any afternoon when I get bad news, I can look and realize God is with me. Anytime I have a question of whether or not I should stay or I should move, God is with me. The tabernacle in the presence of the God of Israel literally became the center of Israeli focus. Now, we know that the tabernacle held all the tools of ministry and connection to God. The people would look at the tabernacle and they could understand what goes on in there helps us be connected to the God that brought us out of Egypt. That place and what goes on in there helps us stay close to God. The altar of sacrifice was there. The golden lampstand was there. The altar of incense was there. The holy of holies, the holiest place on planet earth was there. The ark of the covenant that Indiana Jones found in uh, the ark of the covenant was there. Um, And it it was the people of Israel. It was their continual focus on this place and on these facts. And on the reality that God was there as the center of life in Israel that made this so powerful and so effective. Think about it. Every morning, their first sight was the presence of God and the ministry of God to help them be close to God. Every evening, their last thought was the presence of God and the ministry of God that allowed them to be close to God. And at any point in any day when they had any fear or question about anything, all they had to do was peek over to the center of life and realize that it was the presence of God and the ministry of God that gave them access to God. When they went to visit one of their friends from Gad or crossed the street to talk to Ephraim or went over to talk to people from the tribe of Dan, they couldn't do so without revolving around the presence of God and the ministry of God That helped them understand they were connected to God. The tabernacle was the center. And Jesus became all these things. According to John. Jesus came and he tabernacled. He he became this. We were told that the tabernacle had the altar of sacrifice. But Jesus became our sacrifice. We know that the the tabernacle had the golden lampstand, but Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am going to be your light. We know that the tabernacle had the altar of incense that offered up prayers, but Jesus said, I will be your mediator in prayer. I I will communicate what you need to God. We know that the tabernacle had the holy of holies where kind of the presence of God dwelt, and Jesus said, I'm the one who's going to give you access to God. I I will allow you to be behind the curtain. And we know the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God, and Jesus said, I am the person of God, and I will send the Holy Spirit of God to be the presence of God in your life. Jesus said, you need to understand, I have replaced what the tabernacle was so that people can see and touch and follow and know where God is and know when God moves. But you've got to understand, if Jesus is not the center of our lives, 
then we won't follow him. If you just believe in him, but don't follow him, you say, well, how do I know? Is he the center of your life or not? You see, the Israelites couldn't exist without Jesus. First thing every morning, he's there. Last thing every night, he's there. Do you know the people of Israel weren't allowed to move? Moses said, how are we going to know where to go? God said, I'll tell you what, when I lift up my cloud, you pack up your stuff and follow. You're going to follow me. You'll move when I move. You'll stay when I stay. I will guide every step of your life. I'll take you to where there's going to be resources. I'll keep you away from dangerous places. When you hear the wolves off howling in the background, you can, all you got to do is peek. If I'm there, you're safe. I, I will be to you everything you need for me to be if I can be the center. But if you stick me off in some corner of your life, you're going to have a lot of moments where you're not sure. Am I there? Should I be there? Am I supposed to move now? God, do you want me to go here? Do you want me to go there? Keep me in the center and you'll always know. But put me off to the side and sometimes you're going to be on your own. So journey this year, we want to follow Jesus. We want it to be the year of following. But it really can't be the year of following, according to John 1.14, unless it's the year of Jesus at the center. Jesus right at the center of our life. Jesus right at the center of our schedule. Jesus right at the center of our focus. You know, when we study the New Testament very, very closely, we realize that when Jesus is at the center of our lives, there's this pattern of living that we can find from Acts chapter 1 all the way through Revelation 22. When Jesus is at the center, there's this pattern of living. You can even see it in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle Old Testament lifestyle. When Jesus is at the center, when God is at the center, there's a pattern of living that occurs throughout Scripture. And I could give you hundreds of details on it, or I could try to boil it down to four that really are the, the first four. And once we've accomplished these next four, we start digging a little deeper, but we've got to have the first four. The first thing is that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, which means there's a day of the week that's, that's built to enjoy God and be satisfied in Him. You say, when did that start? Like the very first week of creation, the last day of creation, God said, there's going to be a day that's mine. It's for me. And, and you've got to every week stop and say, God, this one's yours, and let me be Lord of your Sabbath. Secondly, we see that when people had Jesus at the center, they lived in spiritual community because Jesus never just draws one, he draws many. And as we live in community with Jesus um, at the center, we live in community with other people who have Jesus at the center. The closer we are to Jesus, the closer the community is that we live in around Jesus. The further we are from Jesus, if you exist way off from Jesus, probably the crowd and the community you run with exist far off from Jesus. But as we press in layers of spiritual maturity the community around us increases in their spiritual maturity. We see that when Jesus is the center, we all use our gifts to help bless God's people and build God's church. It started with the tabernacle. God said, this guy's good at that, this guy's good at that, these ladies are good at this, these kids can help with that, this tribe can do this, this tribe can do that. They all had their special gifts and they said, hey, what can we do to help build God's kingdom and build up God's people. And they would all kind of help each other. And then when Jesus lives at the center, we mature spiritually. There's this thought that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. So we mature spiritually. We get better spiritually. We, become from, we go from being a novice Christian to, to hopefully you know, getting really good to maybe being an expert Christian one day as we try to become who Jesus is. And at our church, we look at these four things and we say, okay, if Jesus is at the center of our life when we live in these four areas, how, does, how can our church revolve around a pattern? How can our church create a schedule that allows people to keep Jesus at the center of their life? So we've got this graphic that we use. We've got this strategy that we use called the four E's. And we tell people, we believe if you lean into the four E's, that Jesus will kind of, he'll be the center of your life and focus if you let your life revolve around these four E's. The first one is experience worship. 
which means you take the Sabbath day and you say, okay, Jesus, this one's yours. Now, for us, many times on Sunday morning, we gather. We come to church, we gather together, and we give this part of Sunday to Jesus, and we worship, and we listen to the Bible, and maybe we interact, maybe we serve a little bit, but we say, okay, Sunday is Jesus's. But we've got a world, I want to be honest with you, that does not allow the Sabbath to have a Lord. We have a world that Sunday is just Sunday, and I'm telling you, it's increasingly becoming, and and one day, eventually, Sunday will just be like every other day. I, I remember my first trip to China getting up on Sunday morning, and it looked like a Monday morning in downtown Kansas City. And I said, what is everybody doing? He said, they're going to work. I said, but it's Sunday. He said, that means nothing here. And we live in a community in America that when it comes to activities, when it comes to a lot of jobs, when it comes to a lot of kids' stuff, like Sunday, it's just another day. There's nothing different about it except you can load it up with stuff because our kids don't have school, so you can do more um, on it. And you have to make sure as you get into this year that Jesus is the Lord of your Sabbath. So I challenged our people this year more than any other year, let Jesus have Sunday. Make it his. Give it to him. Say no to other things this year more than any before so that Jesus can have Sunday. You say, okay, but Christian, what happens if I work on Sunday? Well, Sunday's still Jesus. Well, what do I do? Last week, I had a family approach me after church. said, listen, we've, we've got a little girl in extremely competitive gymnastics. It's like really, really good. Like maybe future Olympian good. And they said, we travel and do gymnastics stuff. We drive all night to get back to church on Sunday morning. Um, we have showed up just a little bit late to stuff to try to squeeze in as much of a Sunday service as we can as possible. But there are a couple times this year where we are in a different city on Sunday. Um, what do we do? I said, you make Jesus Lord of the Sabbath. They said, how? And I said, you get up extra early, you get your Bible out, you try to find a devotional book written for Christian gymnasts, and you get up and you spend the first hour of the day before you go in and you say, Jesus, I'm going to have to do gymnastics today, but it's Sunday, it's your day. So I'm going to start the day with you. And here's my verse of scripture, and here's someone who does what I do, and they live for you, and God, now now, now that I've spent my time with you, this is your day. I want to encourage every young dancer, every young athlete, every single parent who ever has to work on a Sunday to remember that's the Lord's day. And they can make you work on it, and they can make you compete on it, but they cannot take it from him if you will make him master of it. Sunday is the Lord's day. So if you're in some city doing something else, get up a little bit early and say, Lord, it's Sunday, and you are Lord of my Sabbath. If you coach a kid's sports teams, there's a lot of kids on your kid's sports teams who are who are not making Jesus Lord of the Sabbath when they're traveling, and you need to tell the parents, hey, an hour early, we're going to meet down after breakfast in the Fairfield Inn, and I'm going to share a little devotional, because Sunday is the Lord's, and I know we got to play ball today, or I know we got to dance today, or I know I've got to program a computer or travel for work today, but we're going to start off with Jesus. We're going to make Jesus Lord of the Sabbath, and then we're going to do what we have to do. See, it's not just coming to church. It's this mindset of if Jesus is at the center, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, that's his day. I'm going to give it to him before I do anything else on that day. And then if you're in town, come to church. But do you know, I mean, it's almost possible you don't even have to miss church anymore, regardless of where you are and what you're doing, because of the technology that we have. I heard the most staggering statistic about our church in 2015 a few days ago from our camera team. I I think most of you know this. We video record every message. We put all of them online so that you can go watch them if you miss church. You never have to miss a sermon. You never have to miss a Bible study at our church ever. They're all online. But when they gave me the demographic dump from our 
audience that worships with us online, literally for three days I keep asking, and I ask again between services, are you sure that's right? That's, are you sure that's right? And they said, yes, it's, it's all there in the computer. Last year in 2015, the, the number of people that went to the page on our website that plays our sermons and pressed play and started a sermon, last year more than 18,000 times that happened, which means more than 300 people a week are a part of our church that don't come here. They watch it online. And then they said, Christian, here's the top 15 countries outside of America that are watching church from the gym at Summit Lakes. Germany, Portugal, Taiwan, China, Ukraine, India, Poland, Israel, South Africa, Canada, Costa Rica, Netherlands, South Korea, Japan. I said, what? <laughs> like, are, are you serious? I said, are you sure? Like, Yes. People in every one of these countries are watching our church on Sunday morning. 18,000 people, 18,800 and some people last year watched a sermon online as a part of our church and a part of our congregation. And I thought, that's insane. But it reminded me, you never have to miss church. Regardless of where you are and what you're doing. Do you know our tech team right now is building an app for when we move into our building that will allow our services to stream live, which means you could be sitting someplace in your office, someplace at a ball field, someplace at a hotel, and you could plug in your phone and watch our services live and download the sermon notes and give and do all that, and be a part of our church from your phone from anywhere in the world. The Sabbath is the Lord's. You just have to decide to give it to him. And if you're in town, come on. And if you're out of town, give it to him anyway, and then go do your thing but make 52 days a year Jesus by giving him the Sabbath. Secondly, we want people to engage in small groups. We said, listen, you've got to live in community. If you love Jesus, you live in community. That's the way it works biblically. Even if it's just the content because you're really busy. So Pastor Ryan Holt came to me a few weeks ago who runs our small group ministry. So Christian, we've got a lot of people in the church who can't go to small groups. They just don't have time. They travel a lot. They're single parents. Their kids are really, really busy. But they want to learn and be engaged with other people who are learning. Can I start a virtual small group? For people who can't be in small groups where they can get the curriculum, but just through emailing and kind of texting and accountability, they can do all the stuff and be a part of like some community of people that they never even meet. And I said, you know what? If hundreds of thousands of people can get their degrees online that way now, can't, I mean, I'm sure people can learn spiritually that way. Why not? So he's building this online small group thing for people who say, I want to learn and, and be in a group. I just don't ever have time to go. Like, that's awesome. He's got this test drive event that's for people who say, I really don't want to be in a small group. What if I hate it? Come once. If you hate it, you don't have to come back to that one. We'll find something else for it. That's why it's called a test drive. You take the car out and say, I like it or don't like it. Give it a test drive before you decide to commit to a group. We've got a group that runs in all small groups called um, Starting Point. It's like a basic spiritual growth class for people who didn't grow up in church. You, you weren't in church between 2 and 22, and like you know none of the Bible stories and everything I've said about Moses and Abraham, and you're like, I, I, you, know, you lost me, man. I don't get any of it. It's basically like a Christian beginner's course, a crash course over a month. It's four Sundays on Sunday morning during the 9 a.m. service. You can come. Only 15 people can be in the class because the room is really little, but it gives you just a chance to try out community for a month and then take it or leave it, try something else. See, we have a way for you to engage by keeping Jesus at the center. And then we want people to embrace serving. We want you to use the gifts you have to serve the people that God has brought around you. 
Last few weeks, we've been talking heavily about serving and that every Christian needs to volunteer and serve in some capacity. And I got the greatest text message I've ever gotten from anyone in our church. This week, I had a guy texting me who basically said, y'all have been talking about serving. Um, You've been giving us things to do. I want to serve. I don't like anything that the church has that I can serve in. And so, all right, what do you want to do? So he texted back, here's what I'd like to do. I said, okay, we don't have that yet, but if you give us a year, we can try to do that. And he texted me back and he said, okay, um, I, I don't like any areas that there are to serve in the church right now, but I can't do nothing, so where do you need help? I mean, that's the attitude to have. That's the attitude of Jesus at the center. I don't know if I like any of these things, but I know I can't do anything. Because when Jesus is in the center, I have to do something. So what do you have for me to do? What areas do you need the most help in? So I said, these two. And he said, no, I hate this. I can't do this. What else do you have? So like after my sixth try, he said, I'll go back to the thing I quit. Because, you know, I don't want any of those. But I can't do nothing. That spirit of I can't do nothing. When you have a church filled with people that can't do nothing and everyone does something, man, Jesus lives at the center and it's a great picture. And then we want our people equipped to grow. We want you to mature this year and become more like Jesus this year than you were last year. And here's the deal. If Jesus lives at the center of your life, your life looks like this. This is what your life revolves around. And I'll be honest with you. If if your life doesn't look like this, show me what your life looks like and I'll tell you what's at the center. I mean, it's very easy to see. For me growing up, it was football. Football was at the center of my life. And I gave every off moment to it. And my community was my teammates. And I got better at it. I was equipped to grow in it and do better. And I used all of my gifts to press into that area. I'll show you what's at the center of your life. Show me what you do every Saturday and Sunday. And I'll show you what's at the center of your life. Let me look at your Facebook for the last six months and just see your community of people. And I'll tell you what's at the center of your life. Tell me what you're good at And let me see how you use that, and I'll tell you what's at the center of your life. Tell me what you're better at this year uh, than you were this time last year, and I'll tell you what's at the center of your life. There's a lot of things that can be there, but I want to be really, really honest with you this morning. If the center of your life doesn't hold the key to eternal life, you should consider changing it. Because the reality of waking up with Jesus in the center is not just Jesus in the center, but with Jesus as the pursuit. Here's the reality of your day today. I want you to understand this. Today's January 10th, 2016. If yesterday was January 9th, 2016, here's what you've done today. You've taken one step closer to your eternity. See how that works? You are one step closer to eternity today than you were yesterday. January 9th, you were this close to eternity. January 10th, you were this close to eternity. January 11th, you were this close to eternity. Every day, you get one step closer to eternal life. And if the center of life that you are stepping towards every day doesn't hold the keys to eternal life, what are you going to do when you reach that that ledge and you leap? What's going to hold your eternity? What's going to hold your life in its hands? You see, the community of Israel understood that they were a spiritual community and they moved with spiritual purpose. So they knew if God moves, we're moving, but we're moving for a purpose. And they understood that they were supposed to be a light in a a dark world. And they understood they were on a spiritual mission that was going to mean they had to battle sometimes. 
So the Bible says that every time that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire would raise up, which meant the Israelites were supposed to pack up because God was going to move them someplace else and then they were going to resettle there. It says the Bible says every time that that happened in Numbers 10.35, it says whenever the ark would set out, Moses would say, rise up, Lord, may your enemies be scattered. The whole nation of Israel would sing this song, rise up, Lord, may your enemies be scattered because they were, on a, they were a spiritual community on a spiritual mission and they said, we're not sure why we're going or where we're going, but once we get there, we know we've got a spiritual purpose. And as we look at what our church has been called to do this year, folks, God is moving in our church, in the lives of people. But as an organization, God is moving us. He's pulling the pillar of cloud and fire that exists here on Sunday morning, and he's moving it down the street about a mile. And he's going to resettle it there because God says, here you burn brightly about one day a week. There you can burn brightly about seven days a week. Let's move so we can be more effective in this community. So God is moving we are moving, and if we can follow and keep Jesus at the center, I believe, number three, that this can be a year of finishing. This can be a year of finishing, and this is going to be the word that we brand on the conscience of our church this year, a year to finish what God has started in us, not just as people, but as an organization. That's why you see a banner in the back that says, finish. That's why you see all of our staff wearing these little bands that we're going to hand out to you in a minute that say, finish, that we want you to either put around your wrist or stick in your car or put, put in your bathroom somewhere. We want you every day to see this word and to realize we are a spiritual community that exists for a spiritual purpose on a spiritual mission. And this year we have to finish one of the things God's given us to do. This year we want it to be a year of finishing, but I want you to take note of this. And, and I want you to take note of it so strongly that I'm not only going to say it, I'm going to ask you to write it down in your sermon notes. I can't say this enough times and we've got to be aware of this. This is not the year of the building at JCI. It's a year to follow. It's a year to have Jesus at the center. It's a year to finish, but it's not the year of the building. We don't need a building to have Jesus. As a matter of fact, most of us don't even need a building to have church. Now, our campus support team on a day like today when it's really, really cold, they would like to have a building, I'm sure. But the vast majority of us, we can come sit in chairs and we can do this in a school. It's all right. We don't need a building to have Jesus. But for the mission that God has called our spiritual community to, the, the cloud is raising and it's moving. And God is saying, all right, you've got a task to finish. Now, what is our mission as a church? We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. And in 2015, we saw that happen in an incredible way. Every year, our team puts together what we call our annual report. At 10 a.m., this will land in your email box tomorrow that just is all the celebration of what happened in 2015. For the business perspective inside of you, we'll enjoy seeing, okay, how much did we give and where did all that money go? But the ministry side of this report is what's so key to me. Because as you scroll through this and read through what God did in our church in 2015 to help us accomplish our mission, you're going to see that last year in 2015, 145 people made spiritual decisions and said yes to Jesus. 145 people that at this time last year were walking every day towards an eternity that was very unsure. This year, it changed their direction and every day they're stepping towards an eternity in heaven because of the ministry that our church did. 88 of those people were baptized. We sent 43 people on, a for, on the foreign mission field to go do missions work overseas. And every year we hope to send more people and do more and send more money like you saw with Pastor Ben. We last year of the offerings that came in invested $138,819 in our local community 
in the inner city of Kansas City, in church planning across America, and then in ministries literally all over the globe. And we've given 400, since our church started, over $462,000 has been invested in missions. What, what has come in, we've given out and said, Lord, we trust you with the 88%. You can have the 12 to do ministry that doesn't matter inside the doors of this church, but it matters to you inside the walls of your world. It's amazing what God did through our church last year as we just, every one of us tried to live for Jesus the best we knew how. But in addition to all this last year, we also, we also called last year the time to make a difference, the time to do something. And we said, we believe it's time to build. We believe it's time to build a building, but that's going to rest within the hearts and the generosity of our people. So for seven weeks, we tried to figure out whether it was time for us to move from where we were. And on the first Sunday of March, we came together and, and we had our basically our all-in Sunday. And we said, how much can people give? And we knew if we didn't get to a million dollars, we weren't going to be able to build a building. And on the first Sunday of March last year, we, we saw $1.47 million pledged towards a building. And do you know that when we closed last year, more than a million dollars of that had already been given and is sitting in a bank account right now paying. We, like we have a loan that's been funded to pay our construction contract. We haven't even used it because our church has already given so much. We're using all of our money first. But we've got a little bit left to finish. Stuff that God laid on your heart to say give between now and August 1. We've got to finish. And as we looked at what we have to do to get to finish, we said, man, there's no way we can finish if we don't follow and have Jesus at the center. But what is it going to mean? What can every one of our people do to help us finish in 2016? And we said, 2016 is going to be the year to finish, and here's how we're going to make it happen. One, we're going to ask everyone to pray. We're going to ask everyone to pray and remember what God is trying to do in our life. And as we move from one place to another, we're going to ask people to pray that we can get there. Two, we're going to ask everyone to serve. We're going to ask everyone to figure out how they can serve because God's going to send us more people that really don't even know where the bathrooms is. And we're, we're going to have to have people serve them by taking care of their kids, by waving at them in the parking lot, by greeting them as they come in, by doing set up and tear down, getting food and coffee ready for them, and everything else we have to do. We need people to bring people. We believe that God wants to reach people in this community with the gospel of who Jesus is and that those people are in your lives. And maybe they won't come to a school because that's just a little different and awkward for them, but they'll come see a new building. So we need everyone to think about bringing someone as we move through this year. And then we need everyone who's pledged to give. We really do. Not everyone's going to be able to give this year. But if you pledge, we're praying you can give. Some of you pledged, and then something happened in your life. You're not going to be able to give, so God's going to speak to someone else. and They're going to kind of step up and they're going to take your spot. And we don't want you to have any guilt over that. But we just believe as we look at this year that if everyone prays, if everyone serves, if everyone brings, and if everyone gives, we're going to make it. Because this can be a special year if we finish. Now, the greatest, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible who teaches us some of the greatest lessons on how to finish difficult projects is a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah built a wall in Israel that had been torn down. That's why I've got these blocks. Some of you have been wondering the whole time, what, you know, what is that? Is, that? is that like our new church? No, it's just blocks that you know, we'll, we'll throw away. But Nehemiah was ta tasked to build a wall. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, we read that it was difficult for him to build the wall. As a matter of fact, in Nehemiah 4, 16 and 17, because of the enemies that made it difficult for his spiritual community to fulfill their, their spiritual purpose, it says from that day on, after they had a little battle spiritually, it said half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. 
The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. You see, Nehemiah had a project where some people were building. And some of you, for 2016, it's going to be a building year. Life is good right now. You feel strong right now. You're planning to build your marriage this year. You're planning to build your business this year. You're planning to build your family this year. You're planning to build your health this year. You've come out of a great year. You feel strong and you say, this is the year we're going to build back up what's been torn down. And for some of you, it's going to be a great building year and you are walking around with blocks in your hands because it's time to build. And half of Nehemiah's men walked around with blocks in their hands because they were building. And some of you are in a building year. That's awesome. But some of you don't have a block in your hand. It says, half of, Nehemiah's, half of Nehemiah's men walked around with a sword in their hand because it was their time to battle. And some of you right now are in the battle of your life. You don't have an ounce of energy in you to do anything but finish your battle. 2016 was a year that you either picked up some addiction or maybe you finally admitted you had it. And every day you battle it. 20, 20, 2015 was that year. 2016 is the year where you realized if things don't change, I'm going to lose my marriage. You're battling. 2015 was the year you realized my kids are not where they need to be spiritually. And if, as a dad or as a mom, I don't, I don't pick up the spear and go, we're not going to make it spiritually. Some of you are battling financially. Some of you have been battling so hard for so long, you don't know what it is to walk around without a sword. You literally sleep with one under your pillow. And as soon as your alarm clock goes off, you get it again because it's just another day to battle. It's another day to make it through. Half of Nehemiah's men, because of the very real spiritual battles that were going on, half of them battled every day. Half of them build, half of them battle. But then there's this interesting verse in 17 about the commanders. It says some of the commanders carried the materials they did work with in one hand and they held a weapon in the other. See, for some of you, it's a building year. For others of you, it's a battling year. But for some of us, it's going to be both. For some of us, we're going to say, you know what I'm going to do in 2016? While I battle spiritually for everything God's called me to do, while I, while I battle to pray and to serve and to bring and to give, while I battle every day spiritually, I'm going to build too. I wish our team would have used fake blocks for this illustration because this is extremely heavy. I'm afraid I'm going to ruin my jeans resting this here and maybe my shirt, but my forearm is so tired from the 9 a.m. service I can hardly hold this up. Our church this year, I think, needs to look like this. As an organization, we have to battle spiritually every day because we are a spiritual community that exists for a spiritual purpose. And even though we're only moving a mile, there's a lot of the devil between us and that mile that we've got to resettle on. So we've got to battle. But there's a lot of this community that needs us to be strong And they need us to build something for them that they can come to, where they can find hope, where they can find peace, where they can find rest, where they can find Jesus. And as I look at 2016 at JCI, this is what I see. I see a year to build combined with a year to battle. But it's going to take all of us doing something to finish that year well. You know, this year at JCI, I believe we can finish what we've begun if we follow and we make Jesus the center of our life. Why? Because that's what Philippians said. In Philippians 1.6, the apostle Paul said, I'm confident. Listen, I'm confident you can finish. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. However, I want you to listen to me really clearly now. We're almost done. 
But I want you to listen to this. Everything I have said, you can say no to. It's your decision. Two of the greatest leaders in the history of Scripture laid out what was needed for their organizations to finish spiritually, and then they got to the end of that and said, if you want to. I'm going to do it. But you only have to if you want to. Joshua was one of those. And when he moved into the promised land, he told his entire army that he led, here's what it's going to take for us to finish this year. But he said, I can't make that decision for you. In Joshua 24, 15, he said this, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if you don't want to, then choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve, whether the gods of your ancestors and who they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Here's what I want you to know. I'm going to follow Jesus this year. I'm going to figure out how to make Jesus more the center of my life this year than he was last year. And I'm going to do everything I can to finish. But that's me as an individual. What are you going to do? Jesus in John chapter 6, he, he, he fed a crowd of 5,000 men. And the next day they came to him and because he didn't feed him again, they, got all, they, 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 they all got mad at him. They started saying nasty things about him. They actually got into a really strong argument. Then everyone said, kind of forget you. They, they were mad at the spiritual leader. So they wanted to quit. They didn't want to finish what they started with Jesus. So they all quit. The, the crowd of 5,000 men that was probably fifteen to 20,000 people in one day shrunk to twelve. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he didn't say, please don't leave me too. Jesus said, I can only decide for me. You all are going to have to decide for you. And in John 6, 67, he looked at the 12 and he said, do you want to go too? It's your decision. I can lay out the vision, Jesus says, but only you can decide to follow and finish. And I want you to know as a congregation this year, this is the direction that I'm going. This is the direction I hope we go. But only if every individually, one at a time, says, yep, I'm in. Give me a sword. Give me a block. I'm in. Let's go. Because if we will follow, we'll put Jesus right in the center. We'll finish easily. And we won't finish in a building. We'll, we'll pass a building on the way there. Like We'll kind of wave to him and say, hey, there it is. And then we'll just keep going. We'll finish this year spiritually closer to Jesus, closer to eternity than we've ever been before. Will you follow and make Jesus the center of your life? I'm going to, but you have to decide for yourself. We pray.